Oh yeah, microphone checker. Shouts to everybody who checked out last week's episode with the one and only George Monterano, man. That that was a movie. This guy, if you haven't checked it first off, go check it. If you have, listen, you already know. This guy was sentenced to life in prison for marijuana. Wanted doing 32 years. There's so many tales and stories. It's truly, honestly, something that I could see on Netflix or Hulu or or any type of streaming service that that we look at. I could honestly see that being on there soon. So check out that episode if you haven't. Internet, let me tell you something. I really appreciate. Um, I haven't shared it fully. I think you know, just maybe like Instagram and a couple people who know. But uh, you know, Grandma Premium has been in the hospital uh, about a month and a half already. She's fighting, you know, and recovery is going to be tough, but she's fighting. She's about to be 98 uh, in, in, in two weeks, man, so it's uh, crazy. But uh, thanks for all the blessings. Thanks for all the prayers. You know, sometimes when you, uh, you know, podcasting, it's funny, too, because I remember even in the days of, you know, with Combat Jack, you know, on the Combat Jack show, you know, it's like, you know, we never missed episodes, and we never, like, really even spoke about, like, sometimes of what we were going through, you know? I mean, we did, but meaning, like, yo, know, life gets tough, man. And, you know, it's not only, to me, it's not only about, like, podcasts, it's about creating a library. And, you know, it's important for me to do that, you know. And when you go through shit in your own life, you're like, fuck, man. You know, you got to come and do an episode. And it's tough. That's why week in, week out, man, I really give a lot of credit to uh, uh, us on the Combat Jack Show and anybody who has been going for strong. Um, you know, it's it's not an easy thing. So, you know. Blessings to that. Internet's when I tell you to open up your Twitter app, open up your Instagram app, at Premium P, at Premium P Show, and check the fuck in. Okay? I love when I see people check in Zimbabwe, Jakarta, Russia. Uh, who, who was the other one that was saying? Australia. You see that? Melbourne? Yep, yep. Melbourne, Australia. I'm telling you. London, Tokyo, and then in the States, all over. All over. Okay? Detroit, Houston, Atlanta, L.A., Internet's checking in worldwide. Listen, I appreciate you. Thanks for checking our episode. And I always say, if you know of an episode that you like, you know, that, that you listen to that did something for you, send that to somebody. The best thing you could do, people say, yo, Premium P, how could, I, how could I support you? How could I, you know, I fuck with you. I appreciate everything you've done and do. Okay, well, tell a friend to tell a friend. Take an episode that you fucked with that you think would be uh, uh, good for somebody else and send it to them. Okay, and while you're at it, check us out on YouTube. Go to iTunes, you know, rate, leave a comment, whatever you feel like doing. You don't have to do it, but if you want to do it, then go do it, okay? Now, Internet, let me tell you something. When we were down in A3C, the gang was down there, A-King was down there, Big Boy Benson, you know, he thinks he's a cowboy. And we were down there, and we wound up doing two episodes. One with this guy, Tristan Walker, okay, the founder of Walker and Company, Bevel, and one with Raymond Santana. And they were special, you know, they were special because they're both good people and they have both amazing journeys. I have never sat with Tristan before and all these years of him supporting the podcast with Bevel and all his other, he has, you know, different, all different products with the, you know, he has the, the shaver, the razor, you know, he, he has everything, okay? The, the lotions, but more importantly, it was just an honor for me and A-King to sit down with him and go over his journey. He was just acquired by Procter & Gamble. Man, I mean, what an amazing... Bro, this Tristan Walker's journey that you're about to listen to is is another one that I call should be a, a, a docuseries, should be a film, that somebody could go from where he went all the way and then come and create a company that makes something special and that was acquired and to do it the way he wanted to do it. 
Internets, let me tell you something. Entrepreneurship is at an all-time high. People think it's cool and it's easy, and it's not, okay? And this episode, Bevel, founder, Walker & Company, CEO, founder, goes through everything it takes to be successful. His highs, his lows, his family, his, his company. Of it being acquired, of it fe- you know feeling free about what it takes from a kid who grew up in Queens in the projects to now have Nas as a partner in his company. Internets, okay? You want to be inspired? You want to really enjoy entre- entrepreneurship? Okay? You got to listen to the people that are doing it. That's who I, that, that's my advice. Entrepreneurship became like a cool word. Nah, man. Listen to the people who are doing it. Okay? Nah, I don't got to say any more. I just said, make sure you check us on YouTube. Make sure you go to uh, Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud. Continue to fuck with the Premium Pete Show. Tell a friend to tell a friend. And internets, we are live at A3C. Shouts to A3C uh, for, you know, having us there. We did a live episode. The audio is very good, very good. But because it's Dwayne, we got Dwayne. Shouts to Melo. He's on it. Mean A King sitting down with the one and only Tristan Walker. Internets, I present to you the Premium Pete Show live at A3C Festival down in Atlanta. Episode. With the one and only, the entrepreneur, okay, the hustler, the kid who went from the projects in Queens to the top of the mountain and had his company acquired by Procter & Gamble the way he wanted to, Tristan Walker. Let's get to it. Cheer. Yo, what's up, y'all? This is Fat Man Scoop, the undisputed voice of the club, the two-time Grammy Award winner. Let me make this official for you. Fat Man Scoop, Cork McClan, Internets. It's time to go with my dude, Premium Pete. Let's get focused. Let's go, Internets. Let's turn up one time, Premium Pete. Come on, everybody, get set. Let's go. It's the next episode. It's the Premium Pete Show. News, interviews, all of the info. Listen up. It's the Premium Pete Show. If you want the scoop in the low, down low, listen to to the show cause Milk said so Fuck what you heard, better act like you know It's the Premium Pete Show We had A3C Atlanta Doing a live show We did one yesterday with uh, Raymond Santana of the Exonerated Five Central Park Five But now known as the Exonerated Five A good fellow, you know His journey been, has been amazing And to see how they've been appreciated Like After the show we went into Uh the A3C, all the different conferences and rooms. I mean, and people were literally uh, squeezing this guy's hand. I thought they were going to yeah. break it off. Um, <laughs> and they were just so happy to see him. So thankful that he's home. So to be honest with you, that really made me uh, uh, look at it like, you know, there's a lot of good people out here. You know, like people, sometimes people don't think people support each other. But when you've seen that dude's story and you've seen people appreciating it, it means a lot. Now, today, you know, um, it's funny because I've been trying to uh, sit down with this dude, uh, Tristan Walker, for a long time. I, I, we were going back and forth on email, on DMs, and I would hit him up. And, and you know, he's been uh, not only one thing I really uh, admire about him is not only his, his style of entrepreneurship or how he's broken down doors or how he's, you know, made uh, uh, things possible for other people. But also, you know, the support he's had, and we'll get into it, in, in, into podcasts, into Combat Jack show. Being a visionary. Uh, yeah, being, you know, and we'll get to that, you know, when we get into this episode, but really being like one of the first dudes to uh, put bread in our pockets, you know what I mean? Um, and we were doing Not the for, barbecue money either. Not the, oh, yeah. yeah. We lost that money, King. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and for people who don't know, that that's, that's the money, like, uh, we got a $500 <laughs> check uh, and combat, uh, he never, I don't know where it is. He said, he said, he don't know where it is. We were asking about it for a long time. Uh, but he knows where it is now. Um, 
But you know, and the, and the funny thing is too, Tristan Walker, you know, uh, a great journey, so many different things, you know, working at so many different places, and obviously uh, we'll get to that. But I'm gonna let the audience and the people who are listening now worldwide um, know that when my son was being born, my lady, you know, when she was pregnant. Um, she she had this couple of names and and I forgot what some of them were and I'm like nah nah I'm not naming my son this name like, what was the name I don't know some of them were like you know uh, I don't remember Brandon nah like uh, uh, <laughs> Jacoby and I was like <laughs> and I just didn't want like you know what I mean I didn't want like, I always like different names because my daughter's did she, did name she wanted like a West Indian name like I didn't want Rupert, nah, here's the thing. I didn't Winston want, I didn't want Donovan. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want my, like, even when my daughter was born, her name was Skylar, and that was different. Mm. You know, a lot of people in my family, I come from a big Italian family. It's Maria, uh, uh, Lisa, you know, uh, Anne, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it's all the same names. Joey. Yeah, jo well, that's... <laughs> Joey. That's for, yeah, that's for the guys. <laughs> Tony. Angelo, Tony. <laughs> but anyway, I wanted to be different. So yeah. I remember she mentioned uh, that she was a big fan of the name Tristan. And I told her, I says, oh, I know a guy named Tristan. I said, he's an entrepreneur. He's, he's successful. He's a good guy, you know. Yeah. And uh, she's like, oh, let me see a picture of him. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, all right, all right. Oh, so, so I showed him a picture. She's like, oh, okay, he looks very interesting. Right? <laughs> she's like, he looks smart. He looks, he looks nice. I said, no, he's a good guy. And I remember, and, 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 and here's the thing, Tristan. And, and, and you'll speak to the email. I, I sent them an email. And I don't usually do this, you know, where I just wrote like, yo, we're going to name my son Tristan. Um, you know, it's great that it's, you know, a name that is also your name. Because if my son could grow up to be, do a lot of things you've done, I'd be, I'd be a, a proud father. Yeah. Do you remember that? Do you remember that? Anyway, welcome uh, Tristan Walker to the uh, Premium Peach. Yeah. It's a blessing, man. It's uh I love this guy. Um, I know you guys on the podcast can't see it, but I genuinely, genuinely, genuinely love this guy. Um, you know, when we came in here, it was like, God, it's been five years or so, right? Yeah. Since we first met. And these guys have been authentically committed to, to the movement and the network and, and the moves we've been trying to make. So I appreciate you, man. And, and thank you. Thank you for the, the invite and everything. Of course. Of course. You know, right off the bat, with podcasts being so big and... A lot, I tell this to a lot of people. A lot of big brands haven't jumped in yet. Some are scared. It reminds me of social media when people were, uh, companies were scared to get in because they're like, I don't know if this is real. Like scared to hire people to yeah. be social media managers because they're like, they didn't know if it was like a, a fad. You were one of the first ones early on when we were doing pot that came in with, with your company, Walker and Company, for Bevel, uh, with the grooming products, and, but came in and not only advertised on a podcast, but would take six months, would take a year, would, would, would commit to not one show, but multiple shows on the network, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and it's funny too, because you know, I, I, I know that they got a lot of value out of it, but I appreciate the value that we got. And what I mean by that is people would, would say like, yo, I learned about Bevel on the Combat Jack show, or I learned yep. about Bevel on Brilliant Idiots. Yeah. What, made, what made you have that foresight when a lot of, you know, obviously you're the CEO of the company, but the people could have told you like, eh, this podcast thing could be a fad. Yeah, it obviously was a foresight. It was a conversation, right? Like, the thing that care, they care a lot about is supporting us. Um, and there are not too many people that do. I knew in podcasting there was only a few, few companies doing stuff. There was, like, MailChimp and, like, Squarespace. Yeah. And I remember um, Combat had called me. Um, and he was like, Tristan, I love what you're doing. Um, there's this kind of podcast that I have. Um, you know, I love Bevel. Like, send me some product. I'll use it. Um, and I was like, yeah, tell me about this podcast thing. Like, what is it? Like, what's your network look like? How big is it? Et cetera. 
Um, I was like, I'm going to support this thing. And I, I wanted to support it because I had some very simple question. I was like, who else is trying to do this? And he was giving me names of companies I didn't ever hear about, right? And I was like, why aren't the big companies supporting people like you, right? Why aren't big companies supporting like Charlemagne? Why aren't big companies supporting kind of other podcasts uh, that support customers that I'm serving, right? Like black folks. And I realized that the mm. reason probably was because they were scared to do it. Yep. Right? They didn't want to be a part of podcasts with people that were cursing, like talking crazy shit, like all that stuff. And I was like, this is crazy. This is just the culture, right? And I need to be where my customers are, and they were listening to these podcasts. And I was like, listen, you know, I want to put my money where my mouth is. You know, we talk about supporting black business all the time. And I think a lot of people don't understand what that means, right? I think when people talk about supporting black business, they just want to be entertained, right? And just say that they support black business. But I was like, you got to do this with money. Um, so we sent Combat product. Mm -hmm. He used it. And I'll never forget the first time, you know, in podcasts, you get like the pre-roll and you get the mid-roll and all that stuff. So I'm expecting, we sent them like a, a template of things to talk about for the product. The first thing, <laughs> once it comes on, you want like six minutes, like talking about how much you love the product, why you love the product, you use the product and all that stuff. And something clicked off in my head. I was like, this is what marketing should be. Like real people with real problems talking about the things you're solving for them. And it's black folks supporting black folks. Mm -hmm. You know, if we did this at scale, like we'll change the world, man. And we did. And to this day, look, we've tens of millions of dollars, right? Like all that stuff. When I always like speak to people, how'd you hear about it? They're like podcasts, this podcast, this podcast, this podcast. You guys are too expensive now, though, so we got to figure something else out. <laughs> yeah, you know, but you it know. was early, early, early days where it was like, all right, we were all trying to figure this out. Sure. You know, podcasts, everybody does it. You know? and, and I think, and, and as I said earlier, how much of a visionary you were, that you took a shot when no one else did, and it was timing involved in that, yeah, too. You yeah. know, um, one thing I want to add to the um, combat doing the ads, right? I listen to radio, terrestrial radio, yeah. other podcasts. No one was doing ads like that. Nobody. And I think Nobody. <laughs> that's a testament to Combat's passion yeah. to do that particular ad. Yeah, yeah. But people heard that and that they started changing the way they was I mean, doing it changed ads, the way right? I thought about marketing. Like, shave, don't shave like a pauper. Yeah, that's right. That's shave right. like a boss. You know, he said that too, that, that, that is powerful for marketing too and for any company. I remember uh, somebody saying this to me. They were like, you know, he, he said... You, you know, he said, like, let me tell you why I F, you know, like, <laughs> why, why I F with Bevel. And I was like, damn, man. Uh, and nothing against radio. I, I'm not uh, hating radio, but it was like, you couldn't hear that on radio. Radio's different, man. Because, yeah. like, you get, you get paid a lot of money to talk about things that people know you're not using. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, you know, these legal ads or, like, insurance yeah. ads. Right? You know you're not, like, using any of those products. And we know you didn't pay any money to use those products. And anytime we started to work with a new podcast, we were like, we're not going to work with you unless you use our product, right? So we shipped the product. We are like, if you don't like it, don't advertise us. Mm. It's cool, right? Like, we don't need it, right? And every time people use it, and it worked for them. And I was like, you know, we never gave them a script. We never gave them anything. And that's crazy to think about. Like, if you're a company and you just let them free reign with it, you know, we're talking like combat, tax, right? Charlemagne, like that could destroy businesses, right? Like it could, but it never did. Um, and it taught me something about like how authenticity matters to people, mm -hmm. especially to us. You know what I'm saying? So um, I've completely changed the way I thought about marketing, and that's totally due to combat, Pete, Charlemagne, tax, the whole crew. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, you well, thank you for that. You know, you uh, speak about bevel. And the products and the groomer products and 
shaver and the lotion and, and, and the way it was packaged that's one thing that really caught my eye it was almost like you know for people who ever you know have experience or have them at your home or seen them in a store um, I've seen them at Target recently um, you know they're on Amazon now yeah. it's so so it literally I remember the first time I seen it, it looked like an iPhone yeah. <laughs> um, and I was like the packaging really stuck out to me what makes what goes into the design of products because you I feel like certain people get it where they make it more than just a, a razor more than just a grooming lotion yeah, yeah. you know it's, it's, it's no different from you know you get your iPhone you get the packaging it's, it's funny how people scrutinize what we do but never scrutinize what other people do it's just the fact that we're serving the audience that we do that people have to ask like why is this so good it's like because we deserve it because we spend more money on this shit than anybody else does uh, because we appreciate it more right people talk about it more um, so for me, like, there was no secret. It was just like, there's a template for this. Other companies have done it. These are the brands that I love and I appreciate. We could do something very similar. And we did it in six months, right? Like, it wasn't rocket science. And the thing it really just boiled down to was respect, right? Like, respect when I walk down those aisles. I don't want my packaging to be dirty, right? Respect when I walk down those aisles. I don't want people with jerry curls on the boxes. Right? Mm. Respect when I walk down those aisles and pick it up that the products actually work. The formula is not difficult. It's not difficult. And it's amazing how hard it is for people to understand, how hard it is for people to understand, how hard it is for companies to understand. But the, thing, the way to think about it, you're just like, all right, why hasn't it changed over the past 30 years? Because companies haven't had to change. Right. Right? Because nobody's challenged them to change. Um, they're changing now. You know, did you get a lot of blowback when you were from hey, yo. different companies? Um <laughs> I knew King was going to say that, man. Okay, pause. Okay. You got to loosen up, man. You got to give him the show, you know? They played, yo, Just Blaze did a Serato joint no, yesterday in front of hundreds of people, and he said some that, wild that, shit. That, that was like, pause. <laughs> but you know when you deal with companies and you're telling them about Bevel? Yeah. You're a baby. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And I'm sure some did not get it. Like, you know, and I'm sure some were maybe didn't think it would be what it is yeah. today yeah. or that maybe it could. And, and then at the same time too, you're going through this. So before you even got acquired, uh, you wouldn't even, you, you, you know, there may, may have been days where you were like, Hey man, you know, maybe it worked, maybe it won't work. Bro, you ever felt that way? Bro, couple, we, we sold our company December 12, 2018. Mm -hmm. Um, a few months later we would have run out of money. You know what I'm saying? Wow. Like, and the thing that's crazy wow. is we were successful. We were growing every year. We were making millions and millions and millions of dollars, right? Like our cash flow was good. Um, but you have to realize like there are other competitors in the space who were raising way more money than we could, right? Because it was easier for them to articulate to yeah. the investors what they were doing. I mean, I'll never forget when I was first raising money, you got to keep in mind people on the other side of the table didn't look like me. And they didn't care to understand what we were trying to do. And I had so many people talking about, well, is this like that Chris Rock good hair stuff, right? I'm like, like literally, that's like a <laughs> literal thing that people ask me. And I'm like, you're not even willing to acquire the context to know that people are different. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Like, people have different needs. And if this is what I'm starting with, it's going to be an uphill battle. Now, fortunately, like, we succeeded and we have a wonderful, like, acquisition outcome and it was great. But people to this day still are hating on what we do. Mm -hmm. And what's crazy is we still have no competition. So we're in this, like, what I like to call, like, purgatory, <laughs> right, uh, of people who just don't understand. But now we have the back end of, like, a company that's been around for 180 years that's going to make us around for 180 years from now. You know what I'm saying? So, like, because we're doing something so different that nobody's tried to do over the past 100 years, 
people just gonna hate on it. Yeah, or copy I mean, it. Yeah, because yeah. we've seen a couple. Uh, they tried to, and, it, but and you don't they, hear about it. Yeah, they tried it. They tried <laughs> it. You know, it's funny that you bring that up because uh, we sat down with. Uh, the co-founder of Venmo uh, about like a year and a half ago, maybe. Uh, shout out to my man Isaiah. He hooked that up. And um, his name is Ikram. Mm-hmm. And you would think Venmo, you look at it like, okay, this is a, a amazing app. People send tons of money on it. Same thing. He's like, oh, we were about we we're about two weeks away. He said that he went into the office and said, look, guy, look guys, he may have to start looking for a job next week. Yeah, and wow. and the crazy thing is they weren't able to, and the story is actually uh, crazy because they weren't able to get a, uh, a loan that quick. You know, they couldn't get a, you know, like uh, people didn't want to put no more money into them. So they had found somebody that, you know, turned and, and instead of investing in them, acquired them. Yeah. I remember a while ago, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you turned down some offers. Of, yeah. and, and so... Take us through that. Take us through turning down an offer, but also what made you accept the offer from yeah, Procter so & Gamble? a couple things. First, um, this whole thing was a lesson in ownership, man. Like, I had a lot of, I still had a lot of equity ownership in my business, but this is the difference between, like, having 100% of something and, like, less than 100% of something. And the reason I say it is we weren't able to raise money because people who could give you the money chose not to want to do it, you know? And that had nothing to do with the success of our business. It was, like market factors that I couldn't control, right? Like, and I, building businesses is hard enough. I need to be in control, right? And 100% control affords you opportunities to a whole bunch of things, right? So now as I think about what what we went through and successful outcome, the Venmo guys, what they went through, that's just a crash course in control. And I also need to, and this is what I'm doing a lot of now, like helping people understand what that means. So when you have companies like Walker and Company or like Venmo that you love, like support them, right? Like I love combat. I love you. Like support them because nobody else is going to do it. You know what I'm saying? So now to the point around like turning down offers, um, I wanted to build something that's around 150 years from now. In order to do it, there are a set of things that you need to do in order to make that happen, right? You got to adhere to the values that you have, personal and company, right? If I align myself with a company that doesn't share my values, like they're going to swallow me up, throw me out. Bevel doesn't exist anymore. I couldn't have that happen, right? So I was either going to get acquired by a company that shared our values and gave us all the cash we needed to be successful, or I wasn't going to do it. I was going to cut the team. I was going to hustle this shit out, right, um, and build a profitable business. The reason we um, decided to sell to Procter Gamble is for a couple of reasons. First, I started this company to serve. I didn't do it to get rich. I wanted to serve the majority of the world, people who look like me, people of color, right, who deserve these experiences that we talked about earlier, right? Second, um, the movement mattered, right, which meant that the company needed to be around, you know, like we needed to put ourselves in a financial position so that we will definitely never have competition anymore. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like this is a strategic advantage type of thing. Um, and third, you know, once I did it with a company that shared my values, it was like sky's the limit. Procter & Gamble has been doing this for 180 years. There's no other company on earth that's been around that long doing it so consistently, right? Uh, they looked me in the face. They were like, Tristan, we're going to put you in a position to do it. We're going to let you be an independent company, right? So we're not going to buy you and like spit you out. You're not going to have a Procter & Gamble email address. No, you're still the CEO of Walker & Company. So one thing for people, I talked about ownership. There's also financial parts of deals. There's non-financial parts of deals. So it was important for me to you know figure out the financial side, right? Obviously for me and my employees, but the non-financial, because like those people were loyal to me, right? I want to make sure that they were taken care of. So by being independent, 
we can actually fulfill that vision to serve. And then lastly, I was like, I want to go to Atlanta. Like, I was tired of being in Palo Alto, California, right? Like our customers weren't there. I'm raising two boys right now, um, two black boys. I want them to see kind of um, black folks um, with like a burgeoning middle class, right? I want them to see people who look like them. I want them to aspire to be people um, who are doing something. Uh, and Palo Alto didn't afford that, right? So I was like, let's pack up and go. And Procter Gamble is like, <laughs> I'll never forget this. I bought my home in August of last year before I was even thinking about selling the company. September, I met with Procter Gamble. They were like, let's do it. Where do you want to have the company? I was like, Atlanta, because I just bought my house. And they were like, good idea, right? And they're like invested in this. So they let me do my thing. And I'm very, very, very thankful uh, for that and they're fulfilling their side of the bargain. So why did I turn people down? Because nobody else offered the combination of all those things. Wow. You know, that, that's powerful. You know, um, take us through how long it takes to make a decision to agree. Oh, yeah. yeah. To, and and, and I, what, did you, like, who did you, did you speak to your wife? Did you speak to, like, uh, any, any family members? Like, how do you, how does someone make a decision like that to do that? Yeah, so the length of time, the length of time we started speaking to people or people started reaching out to us in, like, January of last year. Um, and then Procter and Gamble, this is like all the other consumer packaged goods companies. And then Procter and Gamble came around August, September. Was it like an email, or you knew somebody from that? Emails, connections. And the thing is, once you start to get in this cycle of like entertaining these conversations, it's going to take all your time. <laughs> so you're like, all right. So I told my COO, I was like, all right, we're probably let's let's sell this business, right? Because I need to be focused, right, um, and get this thing done. Um, so. You know, we had chats with multiple people. Some of them started and stopped, like three months here, three months there. And then Procter Gamble, we started talking to them in August. We announced or we closed the deal in November and we announced in December. Um, How did I come to the decision? I didn't need anybody else's advice. Um, I try to make every decision that I make in line with the values that I have, right? Um, you know, courage, inspiration, respect, judgment, wellness, loyalty, right? And I needed to align myself with a company that shared those things. And like we spoke the same language, literally. The decision was made when we had that first meeting, mm-hmm. and then the rest is just paperwork. That's uh, now. Did you you come down to Atlanta? Did a lot of the team were they willing yeah, to move? That's a good question. So I I, I told the team on December twelfth um, that you know it was happening, and then um, we also made the decision to move to Atlanta. It was a crazy moment because like most everybody was in the West Coast, so I was like, hey guys, we got to pack up and move to Atlanta. But I told them the reasons why, right? It wasn't like, hey, I'm leaving peace. Right. Like, our customers are there, um, the future's there, right? Sure. Whatever. Um, so we had, at the time, like 15 people on the team. Um, the number of people who moved to Atlanta with me was probably five. Wow. Right? We have a couple people still out in the Bay Area, like engineers, and the rest found other opportunities. And it was cool. I mean, the thing that I appreciated at that point, particularly with the deal, is I tried to take care of everybody who was left. And I remember on December 12th, when I looked out with my team, um, we had the 15 people I was looking at. I was like, you guys have been around for like three years. You've gone through the ups. You've gone through the downs. You've persevered. You've been loyal. I appreciate it. And I understand if you don't want to come. But if you do, like, we're going to tear shit up. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. The people who have come, I think they're pretty excited about it. Now we're rebuilding. Like, so, you, yeah. you know, you're like a calm, cool, uh, cool and collective guy. <laughs> 
uh, you get acquired by Procter and Gamble. Did you buy a mink or something? No, <laughs> no, man, no, 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 no. Look, man, you I, nothing, you nothing know, crazy. Funny. I mean, I, I bought a nice house. I got okay. it. Okay, you know, um, put some money in the bank. My kid goes to a good school. Um, and save my money. <laughs> um, look, man, like. I was thinking about this recently too. Like when I was 20 years old, what are all the things that I was like wanted in life? You know what I'm saying? Like I wanted to have a wonderful wife, wonderful children, kids in great schools, bomb house, nice car, right? Like got it. Now I don't need anything else. You know what I'm saying? So like, and I have money to make me feel comfortable. Like I'm not wealthy by any stretch of the imagination, but I've achieved, you know what I'm saying? And I built something that like we as black people can be proud of. You know what I'm saying? Like that, if, if anything else. In Italian. If I didn't, <laughs> in Italian. No, 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 I get it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like, it's, it's meaningful to me. You know, I, um, the story that I like to give, I started to tell the story kind of more publicly. Uh, we got into Target in February, 2016. And, you know, we were excited about it, but I was really busy and I didn't get to go see the products in the store at Target until April, May of that year. My son was two at the time. I took him to Target with me in Mountain View, California, mm. right? And I remember we went down the aisle. Um, he was in the cart. And we go down the aisle, and I get down like a quarter way down the aisle, and my son all of a sudden says, Dada, right? Mm. And I look around, and I'm on one of the boxes, but it was like turned around on the back of the box. And at that point, I was like, wow, he doesn't realize this right now, but this is his first time in a retail store. He doesn't have to go to some like ethnic beauty aisle, right? Like it's prime position packaging. Um, so he's treated like a first class citizen consumer, right? And then he also recognizes his dad's on the box who mm. produced that shit. You know what I'm saying? So like the legacy stuff that I'm most proud of is that that story happened. And that story can happen for more people. So no, I didn't get a mink. I got a house uh, that he can actually play in the backyard in. I never lived in a house before. Uh, spree rolls, spree rolls on your car. <laughs> no rims. Don't need to do that. Okay. <laughs> Don't need to do that. You know that's powerful too when you think about family, and that's one thing. Uh, you know, I've seen you tackle, and I love fellow fathers. Yeah. Uh, you know, learning. There's no manual. There's no booklet. Yeah, man. Um, you yeah. know, to see the, how powerful that is. You know, you lived in, in, in the West Coast, L.A., yeah. uh, Silicon... Bay Area. Bay Area. Yeah. Silicon Valley. Yep. You know, honestly, and I mean this, uh, I'm only going to... Uh, I'll, I'll change the lettering around because there's a, uh, a young precious kid here. But what the F is Silicon Valley? Yeah, yeah. And I mean that because I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, I'm in tech. But it's like a lot of people, you know, you, yeah, yeah, a lot of people question. are doing nothing. It's a good question. We um, I asked that same question in 2008 when I moved out there. I thought it was a place they just made semiconductors, right? <laughs> and um, I got there. I went to business school out there at Stanford. And I was like, wow. Like, I was 24 at the time. Another 24-year-old was making millions and millions and millions of dollars. So first of all, I was like, what's this hustle, <laughs> right? Like, how are all these guys making millions of dollars and changing the world? And they were building the software stuff, right? And that's when, like, it was, like, early, early Twitter, like, early, early Facebook, right? So Silicon Valley and what it used to mean was that, right? Yeah. Like, building these consumer software and even non-consumer software things. Mm -hmm. Tech today is, like, very different. When people say I'm in tech, it's like a catch-all because, like, Silicon Valley is everywhere, right? The thing that made me comfortable about coming to Atlanta or anywhere else for that matter is like 
tech is all just finding engineers who can build great kind of technology products. And engineers now want to live where they want to live, and they don't feel like they have to go to the Bay Area to do it, a place that's crazy expensive, not diverse, and all that stuff. So you got to ask the question of the people who tell you that, like, what do you actually mean? Yeah. More often than not, they might not tell you anything. <laughs> you know, you grew up in Queens. Queens. Mm-hmm. Queens get the money. No doubt. Shouts to Brooklyn, though. <laughs> <A little bit>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I think uh, Peter Gunn said uh, Queens... Uh, uh, I forgot what it is. I think it's Brooklyn take Brooklyn takes it or keep Queens. It on, yeah, yeah, keep on taking it. Shots of Peter Guns. Uh, you know, you you grew up in Queens. Mm-hmm. I know you went to uh, Hofstra, right? Uh, Stony Brook. Stony Brook for, for, for college. Yeah, yeah, Stony Brook. Stony Brook. Yeah. But then you went to. The I, I I well the reason why I'm saying this for is you, then you went went and worked in Wall Street. Yeah. We're married at uh, 20, 23. 23 years old. Yep, which still is married. Yeah. God bless. <laughs> yeah, no you know, worked at Twitter mm-hmm. or interned, right? Yep. And Foursquare. Oh, bio. Yeah. No, the four, no I'm saying, well, well pe- people should know that you didn't yeah. just wake up and, uh, you know, yeah. sell a company, you yeah. know. You think back to all the things you did, you know, and you're still young. Yeah. But you look back to all the things you did. When you were young, did you did you know what you wanted to do? No, nah, man. I um, so grew up Queens, Jamaica Queens. So I was like six, seven, and moved to Flushing Queens. Uh, projects like, you know, the story. You know what I'm saying? And I realized I just wanted to get wealthy. That's it. That's it, right? And I realized that real early. I was like, I'm not coming back to this. Like, we got to get out of this. Huh. Um, and the story goes, I was like, there's three ways to do that. Uh, the first was to be an athlete. I was a basketball player for a while. I was pretty good, but that didn't work out, right? Uh, then I was like the Wall Street thing because I saw, you know, in New York, money, yeah, sure. suits is like money. Uh, that's the only thing I knew. I didn't. That's why I didn't know about this West Coast thing. It's like New England. Um, throughout the whole period, um, for high school, I went to this boarding school in Connecticut on full scholarship, um, and that changed my life because I was going to school with like Rockefellers and Fords right and I was like wow that's wealth like that's mm. what that means like what's your last name oh your name means something that's connected to this wealth thing and that like really um, changed the way I thought about the attainment of wealth then like it solidified the um, the Wall Street thing I went to Stony Brook I graduated early because I wanted to get the money like real real fast got to Wall Street hated it and I was like oh damn right um, and that's when I went out to Silicon Valley because entrepreneurship was the last thing for me and you mentioned Twitter and then Foursquare and then I did um, uh, Walker and Company not for profit the thing that's like crazy about this whole story is I didn't plan it I didn't know where I'd be I just like let it happen and the thing I started to realize is the more and more I tried to like impact the things that were going to happen to me in my life, like in the months and years ahead, like I always failed, like something always happened. And it wasn't until I let it come to me that things happened. Like Walker Company was never, it was never an idea. In fact, when I first thought about this idea, I was like, you know, do I want to be the black dude in Silicon Valley doing the things for black folks, right? Like the tokenism thing. And at some point I woke up, I was like, what am I thinking, man? Like, this is what I should be doing because I have a perspective on it and I'm going to make this happen. And since I came to that conclusion, my life is like trended in this whole world of like black economic empowerment. And only now I'm starting to realize that I'm starting to realize that every single experience I've had until this point is to prepare me for this moment. Right. And now I'm getting like clarity around what that means. And like, so no, I had no idea that I would get to this point. I had no idea I'd be making healthy beauty products. Hell no. Right. 
Um, but this is more than health and beauty products, right? This is about the economic empowerment of our people, which is the most culturally influential demographic group on the planet and deserves to be producers. And I've been led on this path to figure that out for myself. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. You spoke about uh, not being happy at Wall Street. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people who listen, I'm sure, that are not happy with their job yeah. or not happy with what they're doing. Yeah. You can get stuck in that. You know, it's not That's easy right. to climb up out of that. You know, it, what made you not just stay there and deal with it? What made you like what were the steps that you took to really like say, like, OK, this is not for me. Yeah. I'm going to try to realign myself with something I want. Yeah. One thing. I mean, I got laid off. That helped. OK. <laughs> you know, um, but I mean, that was a blessing. right? I got laid off. January of 20, when I go, 20, 2008. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like the first week in January. And I had applied to Stanford like right before that. Um, and a week later, I mean, I was like, man, we had bought a condo in Queens. Like we were renovating it. And I was like, man, I got no money. Like it was a bad job market. The recession was about to happen. And I was like, man. And then a week two later, like Stanford gave me the call. A week after that, um, Wall Street, like, they gave me severance for like nine months and a bonus. And like, I went to school after that. So for me, like I had a crazy blessing. And I guess the thing that I, to answer your question more directly, sometimes people need to stick in their kind of roles to get the money that they need to afford them the next opportunity. Right. Yeah. So I'll never be the first person to be like, Yo, quit your job and like, yeah. you know, pursue the podcasting career. Right. If it's not thoughtful and you don't have kind of like the, not safety net, but the comfort, right? Like it's your decision. So you got to live with the decision, whether or not it works out or not. Um, So what, what inspired me to do it? Necessity, man. I was like, you know, the athlete thing didn't work out for me. I hate Wall Street. I hate being miserable. That was going to creep into my marriage. I was like, that's not going to work for me. Um, And I'm young enough to have the optionality. And on Wall Street, which is bad is you keep getting paid more and more money to lock you in. And I saw how miserable older people than I was were. And I was like, man, I can't do that. My getting laid off was probably one of the best things ever happened to me because I didn't have to make that decision. But if I had to do it again and I didn't get laid off, um, I probably would have quit at some point anyway. Um, And I tell people, life is not worth living in misery. You know, Um, you can sacrifice some things, but I'm in a world now having um, sold the company, and I've been thinking about this a lot recently, this is the first time in my life where I feel like I don't owe anybody anything. And I felt free for a while, like for for my entire life, I felt free, but I've never felt freedom. Mm. And now I feel freedom. And I'm able to like articulate it to people now. Uh, Like if you really, really wanna go after what you wanna do, don't live in misery and freedom is possible. but you really got to own up to it yourself. You got to understand the trade-offs and the risk. Um, and it's not worth being miserable. You can throw away all this stuff that I've been given. Yeah, I could be living in Queens right now with my sons and my wife and be incredibly happy with all that I've learned. I don't need any of the money. I don't need any of the magazine covers. I don't need any of that stuff. Because now I got a taste of freedom. Right. I just encourage people to like really think about what freedom can be and what it can mean for them and go out and attain it. Mm-hmm. What part of that word, uh, what, what, what letter you think you're at in the word freedom? That far? No, oh, P. Yeah. The From F-R? me? No, what letter in the word freedom are you at? The, the F-R-E part? E? Are you at the D? Um, 
That's a good question. No, no, no. <laughs> that's real. That's a good hey, listen. Right? You know, I mean, I, like I, I will we say. All, we all trying to achieve I like that, question. that in totality, I would, I, right? I would say I'm at uh, Fur? D. Fur. Yeah. Oh, you're at D. Okay. I'm at D. Uh, I like far, to be. Though, uh, yeah, it is far, but that's, I like. Damn, I'm two letters behind. Okay, one letter behind you. Maybe. <laughs> you, you know, a lot of people, we always used to say your day jobs fuel uh, your dream job. I get I get emails. I get DMs all the yeah. time from people telling me, like, yo, Pete, man, I'm going to quit my job tomorrow. I'm like, okay, well, what are you going to do? They're like, eh, I don't know. I'm like, well, don't quit yet. Right. Have a plan. But, you know, or, or I tell Great some one. people, like, even who want to start, like, clothing brands, I'm like, yo, if you work a nine to five, come home, put in a couple extra hours and see how it works. Then like, stay in stay in the job for like three more months so you get some funding from it so you could fund that project and, and again make your day job feel your dream job. Yeah. You know, one thing I will say is is when you're in college, it seemed like you were real focused. Oh, yeah. Right? Okay. Now, I'll be honest with you, for me, I'm a, I've always been, when I was young, I, 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 I used to like to... Uh, I'm a goofball. So, you know, I, I used to like, be like, all right, I'll get to the homework yeah. or the essay later. <laughs> I'm going to go uh, hang out or I'm going to go do this. How, how hard was that to stay focused like that? Because I feel like people who stay focused... They may not enjoy the cool times and, and you have friends like, ah, you're boring. But then like later on, those people are like probably in rehab yeah. and, and, you, and you're, you, you know, you're living you know what it is? your life. I learned um, this is the boarding school, high school thing. Like this happens at every phase of like the elementary school, the junior high, the high school, the college. You graduate and like five years later, you only speak to two of the three of those people. It's like all that social shit It's not worth it You know when, when I think about school I tell people this and So by the time I even got to business school I was really prepared Because I was like This is Hotchkiss Or boarding school all over again We're just older now um, You can focus on three things There's like your academic Your professional Your social I really believe you can only do too well at one time Like you can't do all three People who try and do all three fail um, so for me, I knew very early it was going to be academic professional, like, and I was going to sacrifice my social. And today, like, I, I'm not big. I'm not going out all the time, whatever. That's fine. That's the trade-off I was willing to make. It's not bad if you choose social and professional. Just know your academic is going to suffer. If you're okay with that, that's cool. Like, you choose whatever combination. Just trying all three is, like, very, very difficult. And I think the lesson in that, to go a little bit back to, um, you know, when you know you're ready to be free or, like, have freedom... Someone taught me, you should only be doing the thing that you fundamentally feel like you're the best person in the world to do, yeah. right? So here's what I mean by that. I came to the conclusion to start this company because I was like, all right, a black man who needed to solve this problem, I figured out a way to solve the problem that I had. Um, I know that there are other people who have this problem. I'm in Silicon Valley. I'm able to raise as a black man the money needed to do it, right? Um, and I have the network of people to help me do that. And at the time, I was like, I couldn't name anybody else on the planet who is uniquely positioned to do that at that time. There are some people who don't want to kind of respect the experience they've had until this point. I tell a lot of people, you might have like a unique idea on like wiping your ass with toilet paper, right? That like nobody knows. And people like are like, eh, no, I don't want to do that. But like somebody made toilet paper and it's getting the royalties on toilet paper in the billions. You know what I'm saying? Like people are unwilling to embrace their experience, right? That makes them uniquely positioned to do the thing that they're doing, right? So you might want to make t-shirts, right? But know that there is someone on earth who is potentially better than you mm. on the planet to do that. And this stuff is hard enough, right? Like embrace your uniqueness. And every single one of us has a uniqueness, right? Like... 
like combat had a unique uniqueness, Absolutely. right? Like, <laughs> and he's created, um, you know, what we know as today is like this really crazy version of industry, right? Add a uniqueness in this category, which is why we don't have as much competition. Like, find your uniqueness, and that's okay, right? It, it doesn't matter if other people don't like it. That's fine. They'll come around to it, right? Especially when you start cashing your checks, right? And you're not going to have any competition about it because you're the only person in the world who has the perspective on it. You know what I'm saying? So I was very focused um, with my academic and professional because I wanted to be the best person in the world at the things that like I tackled, right? And I knew I needed to focus on those things in order to do it. And for me, social, it wasn't going to get there for me. But for some people, they're uniquely talented at that. And they should embrace that, right? And they'll be the best people in the world at it and make a lot of money doing it and be happy and find freedom. Mm -mm. Wow. Jules. You know, as we wind this episode down, you know, um, I heard you speak many times, and this is what is really important to me is family. Yeah. You spoke about how important your mom is. Oh, yeah. And and, and, and what she had done for you, you know. Explain a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. My mother... um, she moved from Tuscaloosa, Alabama, when she was 18 in New York by herself. Um, she had my brother and my sister. My brother is 14 years older than me. My sister is nine years older than me. Um, we were living in 40 projects in Jamaica, moved to Latimer Gardens in Queens, New York, and Flushing. When I was 13 years old, right before I was going to boarding school, I remember I would have to, she'd leave in the morning before I did, before I went to school. I didn't get home until 9 p.m. at night, right? So I, after school, I would go to the boys club in New York. I'd play ball, whatever, get on the bus, come back home. At times, I had to meet my mom to get on the bus. And like it took me to get a little bit older to realize what was happening. My mother was working three jobs, like six, seven days a week. You know, New York Housing Authority, retail, right? She was working at Time Warner Cable all at the same time. I was like, I can't do that. Like, I, I wouldn't even know where to start to try to do that. And to enable me and, you know, where I get the discipline, the focus, like the academic professional, if she could do that, right, I have no excuse. You know what I'm saying? And, like, I'm, you know, first person to graduate from college. Like, you know, I've had this wonderful success, and I owe it very seriously to my mother, telling me to get my shit together, you know, don't go outside, like you got homework to do, right? Um, you know, ease on the temptation a little bit, and she'd smack me in the face if I did, you know what I'm saying? Um, so, you know, I knew I had to do the right thing, but my mother um, has been wonderful. And what the, the really interesting thing now is as I kind of rear my kids and I have a wonderful wife who's a wonderful mother, like there's a template for like discipline and success um, that she's inspired in us. Um, and there are things that like we know that, you know, if I had a dad around, God, what could I have been now? You know what I'm saying? So that like, mm. now I can afford that to my kid in a way that I didn't get. Um, but again, it was with the template from my mother. So I appreciate that. You know, I know you lost your father when, when he was, when you were four years old. Yeah. Yep. Um, what, uh, did you have an uncle or somebody that who's like a mentor of yours yeah, when you were young? My um, I have this like love hate relationship with the word mentor. I hate that word actually. Uh, who's somebody that inspired you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't have man. Like my whole life has been my being raised by women. Right. If it wasn't my mother, it was my aunts. Uh, I mean, I had my brother who was older and like, gave me the shits, but like. 
um, it was all women. Like I lived in a matriarchal society, like my whole kind of closed in um, and black women, you know? So like my inspiration really comes from black women, right? And their ability to like persevere when in this society, um, they don't have as much respect as they deserve. You know, like my mother, like her having to work three jobs, like that's not her unique story, right? My family had to go through that, whether it was her aunts or whatever. And that perseverance is what inspired me, right? Um, I can't really say early days, like there was a man in my life that gave me inspiration. I can't, that's sad to me. Yeah. Well, shout to the queens. Yeah, shout out to the strong woman. Because, uh, you know, I, I always say this too. You know, I really care about my fellow fathers and yeah. to help them. But there's something really special about moms right. that uh, that they could snap and be a, uh, and right. be a mom that That's quick. Right. That's right. That, you know, you'll find a new mom all of a sudden five months from now. She's got her on the hip. She's making scrambled eggs on That's the right. left. That's and right. she's breastfeeding. You know what I mean? That's like, right. another, it, it's, it's, it's just something real special yeah. about Moms, or even my mom. My mom, uh, to her default, enabling a little, but she was always there for me, man. Always, uh, you know, I, I, my grandmother is, is going to be 98, man. When I had my troubles, when uh, she would come visit me, you know, she would do everything. And, and, and love it, is unconditional, yeah. man. And, and it helped me. And I'll be honest, when I was in group homes when I was young, and my family would come, my mother would come at like Sunday dinner, and they're like, ma'am, you can't come in here with all that stuff, you know? And, um, you know, they would tell me, like, you know, a lot of these kids who don't succeed in, in, in when you're in group homes and, you you know, when you're going through some things young is because you don't have a backbone. Yeah. You don't have a family support. You know, as as we end this, I, I do want to say this. You know, people look at you, Tristan Walker, they say, yeah, this guy was acquired by Procter & Gamble. He's making money, looking good. I always say in New York, too, a lot of us worry about looking good <laughs> and not being good, mm. you know, inside. Yep. You know, like, you know, you can see me with a chain on or a watch or, <laughs> and, or smell good and like, oh he's doing his thing you know or you see somebody on Instagram traveling mm -hmm. you don't even know that there could be a, a, a problem what really and I mean this like what really makes you happy like what's the last time because I think people get it confused with success yeah success is to is to the person but what makes you happy yeah, I appreciate you guys that uh, the I've come to this conclusion I don't compare myself to anybody because you never know what that person's going through yeah, 2018 was the hardest year of my life, D despite, like, it ended really, really well. But, man, you talk about stress. <laughs> I, uh, I, had, I had this thing, you know, shingles? You know what that is? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like I, a breakout, like I feel like I feel like I was the last person on earth <clears throat> to, like, realize what this was. I went to the doctor. The doctor was like, yo, have you ever had chicken pox before? I was like, yeah. He was like, oh, like, it's stress. And it was the first time in my mm. life where I realized that, like, my body was telling me something different from my mind, right? And it made me realize that I was going through something, despite people believing that, like, oh, he has a successful company and all this other stuff. No, like, I'm human, you know what I'm saying? And the thing that kind of makes me happy, um, and I've had time to reflect on this on the past five years, and it's going to sound like abstract, but I encourage everybody to really think about this shit. When I was 30, I wrote down what my values were, right? And I mentioned the six of them, like courage, inspiration, respect, judgment, wellness, loyalty. I reflected back on the 30 years up to that point, man, like loyalty, because like where I grew up, if you weren't loyal, like you, you could die. You know what I'm saying? Like these are like the types of things that like stuck with me. And you realize you got to kind of, in order, we live in a noisy world to make decisions consistently. You got to do things in accordance to your values. So I realized, man, once I understood what my values were and defined them, it was easier for me to make decisions. It was easier for me to identify who should be in my life and who shouldn't be in my life. Mm. You know what I'm saying? With like a very objective kind of criterion. 
now I read a lot, right? And now the thing that kind of makes me happy is to add more precision to the definition of those values. So when I'm teaching my son, right, how to be courageous, he knows what I mean by it. Right. When I'm teaching my son what loyalty means, he knows what I mean by it. And not only that, when he feels that I'm not being courageous or exhibiting loyalty, he knows how to say it. You know what I'm saying? So, like, what makes me happy is to know that I live a world now where everything I do feels consistent. That's freedom. Mm, mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a consistency in behavior. There's a consistency in the people I'm around. There's a consistency knowing that the bad behavior is not going to creep in and I know what to look for. Right. And I don't owe anybody at the same time. That's happiness. man. That's a weight off your, that your shoulders. Happiness, yeah. man. Like the burden that I've had to hold, you know, like for 30 years and the realization of that also made me realize I don't need all this glitz and glamour stuff because with that comes more problems, more expectations, more like things that other people want you to do. And it's like, I don't owe you. <laughs> you know, mm, mm. I'm going to live my life in the way that I feel that it should be lived, that I want my sons to really appreciate. Mm. That's my happiness. God bless. Two last things. Uh, what books are you reading? Yeah, right now um, I'm reading an autobiography of Michael Mexican. I'm reading uh, a book uh, by this guy, an old Greek philosopher called Plutarch, uh, called Morals. It's like this collection of essays on like love. And I'm like, I nerd out on that stuff. I'm building my son like this library of like books he's only five well i have two sons uh five-year-old five-month-old um you know when i was in high school yeah i did the academic thing well but i didn't pay attention right like i just wanted the grade so i can get to wall street but now i'm old enough and have enough time to actually like read the stuff like think on it and that sort of thing so as i like build this library for my son when he gets of age i want him to be able to pull a book read it and then we can have a conversation about some of this value stuff you know, um, so I'm reading those two right now, and I got a few more behind. And uh, what's you know, being that you're somebody that broke barriers, opened a lot of doors for other people, you know, believed in what you wanted to do. What's some other brands or friends or entrepreneurs that you admire or yeah, that are on I, the come the, up that the you best, have? The best advice. So I'll give you, um, not necessarily on the come up. He's here, uh, Tyler Perry, man. Mm. He. You talk about someone who's changed my life. When I left Foursquare, um, American Express had asked me to do interviews with him one-on-one. -on -one. This was back in 2012, um, seven years ago. Damn. Um, did interviews with him in Atlanta, L.A., and uh, Chicago. And American Express wanted to invite small business owners to learn from him, like small business owners. Um, so I'm doing one-on-one -on -one, like fireside chats with them. And I'll never forget, man, like here's a guy who's homeless right now. He's like the highest paid dude in Hollywood, like ownership, you know what I'm saying? We were in LA and uh, we got to the Q&A session and there was one woman on the right side, she raised her hand and she was like, Mr. Perry, Mr. Perry, you have to go through all these different trials and tribulations. What do you do to get back up? And his answer changed my life so much so that like I paused for like 20 seconds. And it was like awkward because I was processing that stuff. And he was like, he realized his potential as an entrepreneur when he understood that the trials you go through and the blessings you receive are the exact same things, right? What he meant by that, like those trials you go through are lessons, right? Those lessons are blessings, right? And once you realize that when those trials come in, you can eat those, you know, because it's something to be learned out of that. And that guy really, really taught me, ran like, you know, he's getting all the hoopla about the studio right now, but he's he prepared for that his whole time, right? 
he ate those, right? Um, and all those things were blessings for him. So it's not a come up story. He came up and he's here. So when I kind of think about who I encourage people to like aspire to be or kind of um, study, it's the owners, right? Like there are a lot of people out there that say, let's support black businesses, do it. They're actually not doing it. Like they'll rap about it, yep. they'll say it. I've spoken to them all, right? They're not doing it. They've turned me down for investment. They've turned others down for investment. But you look at like a Tyler Perry, he doesn't have to worry about any of that stuff because he owns it, you know? He doesn't have to run the rat race. He's not in the hamster wheel. He owns it. Um, so I only encourage people, and this isn't kind of people with the name of Tyler Perry. These are the people who own, I mean, there's a gentleman who owns this like vegan shop, um, vegan fast casual shop in the hood in Atlanta. And I was at like a Q&A session with a few entrepreneurs and he looked at me and he was like, man, I don't know what to do. Like it's hard. How do you scale a business? And I was like, how's your business doing? And he was like, man, we just broke even. We're cash flow positive and profitable. I was like, my man, I'm not even profitable yet. Like you're doing your thing right now and you have ownership of what you're creating. People need to start to like really get excited, not only about the potential to own, um, but also like support those people who are doing it themselves. So I encourage people to look at Tyler Perry and other people who just have full ownership and are thriving because there's yeah. a lot to learn in that stuff. Mm. What, what, so yeah. we about to close, right? Again, yeah. Switching gears real quick because you know hip hop. Yeah. yeah, what are you listening to nowadays? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's a good question. <laughs> and um, and you know because combat is in this room. Yeah, yeah, in the yeah. spirit, we got to do the top five. Tristan, my top we got to update it. <laughs> see if it. See if it's updated. All right, I'll do the top five. Um, yeah, what are you listening to? Uh, I'll do the top five. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. I got, it, got it, got it, got it. I mean, I'm always Nas, Queens, um, Jay-Z, Joe Budden. No, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say something, but I, the cameras is wrong. I don't want nobody to take it. No, 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 no. Biggie Pock, Eminem. Mm. Um, what I'm listening to right now, I love Lucky Day stuff. I think it's super, super dope. Sir, it's pretty dope. Sir Inglewood. Um, I knew Summer Walker is super dope. Like, I love like all this, like, it's not new sound, but like, they have some really, really dope albums. Yeah. Um, God, I got to hear that while I haven't heard it yet. Um, who have I heard recently? There's someone who I really, really like. I can't think about it offhand right now. Those are the people I'm listening to heavy. Snow Allegra, her shit. Mm. I love her album. Nice. Um, but that you got a nice range. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. That's dope. Yeah. Dope. You know, actually, I'm thinking uh, th this is the last thing. We can't end it without uh, a kid from Queens grew up in the projects, uh, then turns around and is able to collaborate and get an investment. Uh, from the one and only Escobar investor. season has returned. <laughs> first investor. Um, how does that feel? How did that happen? Yeah, he, um, I tell a lot of people, I talked a little bit about how like some people don't practice what they preach. Mm. Nas is about it. We sold the company. We were just at Essence Fest in the summer. He hit me up, rolled up at our barbershop, was there for like three hours chilling with like people. Like he didn't do the celebrity thing. He was like, I'm here to support. He was like, yo, you got a bevel t-shirt. He went to the back, put it on. I was like, yo, he did it all for free. He put us in that track, that Khaled track. I didn't know about it. He did Signature Faye with to, the bevel blade. You know, like that dude is genuinely, genuinely supportive of blackness and black empowerment, right? And I appreciate him. He was the first person I ever pitched 
Um, I remember being nervous as hell, man. Like I used to have the half moon in my hair from the time I was like <laughs> six years old till I was like 17. So it was this moment for me, five minutes in the conversation, he was like, I'm in. And I, I literally five minutes. That's five a testament minutes. to what you were saying earlier about supporting black business. Yeah, man, he actually supports yeah. black business and he knows what it means. I mean, you listen to the track, he talks about it, right? And what that means and how people are posing, right? And how you actually need to do it with dollars, right? He gets it and he gets it at a level that I don't think people want to understand yet. And right. I, I, I'm hopeful that that changes. It feels like the tide is changing a little bit, like over the past year or so. Like people are really starting to get like the power of this kind of collective economy that we have. But Nas, man, like I will forever love that dude. It's kind of, it's crazy to me that like, I have him in my phone book and I text him and he texts back. <laughs> like, it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. It's not the Google, the Google vo uh, vo <laughs> yeah. voice number. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's blue. <laughs> hey, 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 listen, man. Sometimes uh, I say this, I say this all the time when you, when you live in your own dreams and you live in your own life, you don't realize how inspiring that is, man. A kid from Queens that grew up in a project yeah, was able to uh, have, you know, Nas collaborate and sell the company, move to Atlanta, provide better for his family. And, and the things and that others. you think about it, man, you should be very proud of yourself. Think about the, the, the things that you dreamed of, like generational when you went into uh, Stony Brook. Yeah, you know, that could be a possibility for your kids. And yeah. I think the most important thing is bad things happen along the way, man. Like I got the layoff. I've been kicked out of school. Like I've, I've like, that stuff's happening, you know what I'm saying? And, like, I've been blessed enough to have steps ordered in a different way. Right. And you just got to let it happen. And I'm very, man, if you would have told me I'd be sitting in the room with Nas while he has a half moon in his hair talking about investing in my company and to then have him be the guy who's on my packaging for my trimmer, that is, like, man, it completely... Huge. A testament to like faith and blessing and trials and blessings. Mm. Listen, barbers worldwide get that uh, bevel trimmer, man. Yeah. It's cordless. <laughs> it's dope. Yep. And that you know what sold me on that? The light. That, yeah. that little blue yeah. joint yeah. around it. Yeah, man. She looked like some fucks like capacitor. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Marcus Harvey too. No doubt. Yeah. 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 Internet. Listen, uh, A3C. Premium Petro, uh, the one and only Tristan Walker. Wish you the best. And uh, I, I know that the future of Bevel is uh, bright. And I'm sure, I'll be honest with you, I don't know yet, and we're not going to get into it. We'll save that for another episode. But I'm sure there is something else uh, coming too, maybe in the next couple of years. We'll I can that. see you. <laughs> no, I, I can see you start having something else too. You know, your journey is still young. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I would just kind of close out and say the, the wonderful thing about not owing anybody or feeling freedom is you have options. Mm -hmm. And blessings mm -hmm. to options. Yeah. Tristan Walker, salutes. Appreciate you. Internets, if you enjoyed that episode, I want you to email me at thepremiumpeatshow at gmail.com. Again, that email is thepremiumpeatshow at gmail.com. Let me know what you thought. And listen, all my advertisers out there, all my big businesses, my small businesses, whoever, a friend, a store, you want to advertise on the Premium Pete Show? Email me at thepremiumpeatshow at gmail.com and let's get working. Okay? Make sure you subscribe, rate, leave a comment on all streaming platforms of the podcast. Tell a friend to tell a friend. And we'll see you next episode. Cheer.